On this week's episode, we take a boat ride with the Phantom of the Opera. Are we all just wooden dolls in a phantom's world? Are you allowed at the opera? And why is the Phantom so hot? Find out now you're listening to 24 Flames Per Second. Welcome to the show. This is the podcast that roasts the films we love the most. And as always, I'm your host of the opera tonight, Robert Spiewak Bohorkas. There's a full, whole full name. You get it all tonight. Um, but yeah, welcome to the show. Um, if you haven't already guessed, this week we are doing the 2004 Phantom of the Opera um, because we can. That's what. That's the reason we're doing things now. Movies aren't coming out in theaters. Nothing makes sense anymore. We're doing movies because we want to do them, not because we have to do them. And so, welcome to the show. Um, this is... Let me check my calendar because uh, I have to remember when this episode is coming out. I think it's in March. And I'm right. It's the second week of March. Everybody, welcome. Um, and so, yeah, uh, just a quick Patreon update before we get into the rest of the show. Uh, there's a new drink along up over there. Uh, it's March. I don't know. Usually around this time of the year, it's the Oscars, but I don't know what the hell's happening with that this year. So, um, yeah, uh, there'll be some kind of, some kind of maybe springtime drink along. I don't know. Um, we'll figure something out, but, uh, yeah, go and check it out, um, at patreon.com slash 24flamespod. And, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of drink-alongs. If, if you don't like the one we just did, I'm sure there's one in there for some, for everybody. Um, we got, we got all sorts of crazy things that we've all boozed up for. So, yeah, go and check it out, and, uh, we'll be, we'll have some more stuff later this month, too. So, um, yeah, everybody, uh, welcome to the show. To, uh, to get things started, kick things off, um, we'll uh, introduce co-host we got this week, the Raul to my a phantom, Quasi Phillips. Hey, 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 how's it going? I made you the Raul because you're more handsome than me. Oh, stop it. Stop yeah, it. Saying. With that with that voice, come on. Which one? You, <laughs> you, you, blow, you blow it away, man. I didn't know you took choir. That's, that was fun. You, we've... We're to always in band together. What are you talking about? Oh yeah. Well, it's good to see you. And good I was I was pub I was publicly ridiculed for my singing in classes we shared together. I do not remember that. Yeah. Well, I, I do. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So everybody knows, and I know maybe some of you clowns are listening, but you know, sophomore <laughs> humanities class. Which is a class of sixty. It was twice uh-huh. as many as a big a class. It was two class periods. I was un- almost unanimously voted worst singer in the class. <laughs> what was that? Was that for like the only because of the way I sang "Happy Birthday" when we sang it, and I always oh. did the Michael Scott super high falsetto oh. thing. Oh, that's right. That's it was not right. fair. That's yeah. That wasn't that wasn't a fair vote. That was well, definitely something brought on by our teacher because he showed us the office all the time. No one. <laughs> it's, just, it's really his fault. No one contested it. So. And they are hosting the Oscars this year. It's in April. 
Okay, great. So, yeah, we'll do Oscar Drink Along someday in the future, everybody. Look forward um, to it. It'll be eventually. And uh, I don't I don't know if we'll be able to stream it. We'll see what the hell happens. Well, yeah, who the hell knows? Um, but uh, anyways, uh, traumatizing backstories aside, um, did you watch the movie this week? <laughs> I I didn't. And I, I did listen to the whole soundtrack, though, nice. which is kind of the same. No, it's not. There's a lot of inter inter story that's missing. But uh, I did listen to it. Um, I love listening to musicals anyway. So it was just a nice. It, I'm glad that I love it when we do musicals. It's nice to have you know that little extra component that we can do for the podcast and not just watch it but listen to it, which I, I liked. Yeah, maybe that's what, maybe that's what we're doing right now. It's like a little mini musical series because we did yeah, Greece last week. So okay, there you go. Wait, what? And I, I think was Greece the first musical we did. I think. I mean, probably not. We've we've others. done Coco. We've done other yeah. Stuff. We've done other musical. This is certainly the most successful musical we've done. Sure. Do you know how much this 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 musical's been running since 1988? Wow. It's done 13,000 plus shows. Guess how much its global gross is? Okay. Price is right. Rules. As close Price as I can without going over. Okay, um, thirteen thousand shows. What you said? Yes. Okay, thirteen thousand. Sixty-two billion dollars. No, six billion. Sixty-two I didn't billion, know. Robert. That's a lot of tickets. <laughs> okay. It does. It hasn't done more than the GDP of Denmark. All right, dude, you gotta like relax. <laughs> it could. It could have. It could have. <laughs> no, it uh, it has garnered six billion in worldwide growth since it's it's wow. big, it, and the only one to top it. Were you excited when I when I were you excited when I started with six? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, he's doing it. <laughs> we're we're still locked in. Um, but yeah, it's, it, but the movie that's, wasn't that's as successful great. in terms of grossing i think that has yeah, anybody it, has any movie done that big of numbers no way <laughs> oh in musical terms no no, no not even no close. maybe frozen i think frozen is the most successful musical oh interesting yeah we're getting head shakes from we're getting yeah our, gallery, panel, our panel seems to disagree with that but about. i'm talking movie musicals i don't know It's a whole of after show. We'll let them, they can take it up in the comment section. I don't. And who are these ghosts trying to interrupt our beginning part? This isn't the IMDb podcast. We don't have to bother worrying about <laughs> box office take and yeah, for sure. But it is, it is, it is. I mean, I'm glad that we're doing it because yeah, it's definitely one of the most impactful uh, yeah. musicals of all time. So yeah. I'm really curious what our panel is going to bring to the table. Nice. Me too. Speaking of, let's get around to the panels. Um, so yeah, we will start with the roasters, as always. And first up, we got video game journalist and horror expert. You can find her on social media at SkatyB. You can find her podcast, Video Express, on the internet where you get your podcast. Katie Bennett. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Oh, it's good. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this movie. This was mm. a big, probably... A, a, a musical I saw at a young enough age that influenced me later, uh, being a, a big old theater kid nerd. So nice. <laughs> I'm excited to dig there into you it. Go. I have some thoughts, uh, you know, revisiting it all these years later. So. Sure. 
Well, it's great to have you here. And also roasting this week, uh, a theater educator, Disney fan, and Zac Efron expert. You can find her on uh, the social media at Board Board Games, Alex Garaboni. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Uh, look good. Looking forward to talking about Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals. Mm-hmm. We could have talked about Cats. I, I'm just saying that's his more widely popular. We certainly could have. We could have. So, <laughs> don't forget, everyone. The same man who wrote this wrote Cats. Well, hey, so, here, he didn't direct maybe, the movie Cats. You I'm making Cats. this decision right now. Maybe we do a Cats drink along for March. Yikes! Look. Listen, oh okay. the, well, the girl who teaches musical theater doesn't enjoy Cats either. <laughs> that well, tells us something. We might but drink it, before the show. Honestly, yeah, yeah. Honestly, though, I, I could get drunk to that film, though. So, so we'll see. Um, anyways, great to have you here. Thanks for being here. And on the defense this week, actor and producer, you can find their work on Instagram, on the internet. Blah, 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 too many words to sound the same. At Hello Earth Productions, Chris Pepper Hamrick. Bonjour. Hello. How's it Bonsoir. going? Oh, it is swap. We're doing this in French now. How's it going? (laughs) Um, It is good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm really excited to be talking about this. Yes. Yes. I think uh, think we're all excited to hear how this episode goes. Um, And, you know, if we get things started, we'll start the same way we always do. We'll move in a minute. Um, And so let's, let's do that. Give us the full plot synopsis of The Phantom of the Opera. Spoilers and all. Um, And we'll give you 60 seconds and a three count. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. That sounds like you are ready. So, uh, yeah, everybody, here we go. In three, two, one, go. Okay, Fan of the Opera opens with an old man at an auction. He buys a weird monkey musical box and then reminisces about the glory days of the opera when he was a young man named Raoul de Chagny. Um, He uh, sees a girl at the opera. Her name is Christine. She's like a chorus girl understudy, and she's mysteriously been taking lessons from someone and gotten a lot better at her job. Uh, Raoul used to like hang out with her at the beach and wants to start up again, but she tells him that she can't really because she's got this weird, mysterious teacher. Meanwhile, the managers are having some personnel difficulties and getting weird notes from this opera ghost phantom guy, um, and Carlotta, the prima donna, is really pissed about it. Um, Christine finds out that her teacher is not an angel after all, but a dude who lives in a sewer full of candles, and um, she pulls off his weird mask in order to see that he has like a weird messed up face, and then he takes her back up top. Um, she and Raul keep seeing each other even though they really shouldn't, and they plan to escape, but Uh, They let the Phantom overhear their plans. Uh, Christine goes to the graveyard to sing a song to her dad. And And um, you are out of time. Let's see. I knew I wouldn't make it. That's okay, though. Yep. It's a tough one. A lot more stuff happens in the first half of this movie than in Mm -hmm. the second half of this movie. Yeah. Um, It's okay. We're at the cemetery. We're at uh, Mr. Daye's tomb. Um, or mausoleum. Enormous mausoleum. Yeah. Um, maybe he was a real big guy. Um, but yeah, so there's Sarah, there at the cemetery, um, and it's uh, it's dual time for between the Phantom and the Raul over Christine. Um, and so they end up, it's, it's uh, there's a fight, um, and Raul ends up scooping Christine up and they peace out. Um, and then somebody confirmed this for me. They're going to use Christine as phantom bait, right? In the Don Juan? That is correct. Yes, okay. That's what I thought. Um, 
So yeah, and everything pretty much goes as planned. Phantom crashes Don Juan. Uh, he gets his mask ripped off. He drops a chandelier on everybody. And the theater lights up on fire. Um, and everybody runs down into the sewers after him. Um, and the Phantom pretty much says, you got to choose the nice, the, you got to choose Raul or you got to choose me. Um, and he's tying Raul to sewer gate while he's saying all this, which, I don't know, seems like he's putting his finger on the scale against himself. Um and so, yeah, Christine chooses Raul, gives the Phantom her ring, and the Phantom's like, okay, bye. And he breaks a mirror and walks into a void and disappears. Um, and then we flash back forward to the future, and Raul leaves the monkey at Christine's grave, and he notices that there's a rose with a ring on it, also on the grave. And so that's, uh, you know, hashtag Phantom was here. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's the fam of the opera, everybody. Um, and so, yeah, when, uh, we come back from our break, uh, Chris, we're going to get your opening statements while you're here defending the Phantom of the opera, the whole thing, not just the guy. Um, and so, yeah, everybody, we will be right back. And we're back, everybody. Welcome back to our Phantom of the Opera episode. Just before the break, uh, Chris... You know, was the was the monkey statue that ran out of batteries um, during movie in a minute? Didn't quite make it, but that's okay. Um, shut up. Um, and uh, yeah, so let's get your uh, your opening statements. Why are you here defending Phantom of the Opera? I'm here because I love Phantom of the Opera. I have loved Phantom of the Opera like as long as I can remember. Um, wow. And uh, like I, I had like a the poster of Michael Crawford on my wall. Um, when I was, you know, a teenager. Uh, so the fact that they finally made a movie um, of, you know, my favorite musical is really significant. Um, there's a lot of reasons why it's prohibitive to go see musicals, um, even when there's not pandemics. And mm -hmm. so um, having like a, a copy of it that you can own on DVD or stream or whatever, um, I think is really, really important because it's a story that has captured people for like, over a hundred years now. Um, and so having like a version with all of the music and all of like the lush theatricality of it, um, I think is, is really important. So, um, as someone who loves this story and loves the music, uh, I'm here defending this film because I think it's, um, really, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's like this whole sensory experience. It's, it's very, um, visually um stunning and like a very sort of a sensual experience um so i think they really captured something um in the musical which is different from the stage show so you can enjoy it if you're a stage show fan and you can enjoy it if you can't get to the stage show okay well very good uh so roasters um as we uh pivot over to y'all um this could be, this might be a good place to start, but you let me know. Uh, we start with style over substance, was something somebody said. I don't know who would like to run with the football. Katie, go ahead. Um, yeah, so I feel like, you know, it, from a visual perspective, you know, it's got a lot going for it. You know, it's got really great kind of epic set pieces and the costumes are all really beautiful and everything looks really nice. And like, you know, I would say the music is also really good, but something about 
this movie just feels really hollow to me. Like the characters all just kind of feel like wooden dolls that are being moved around. Like it's kind of like how they show the Phantom playing with all those miniatures. I feel like that's just the movie I'm watching is a bunch of miniatures being moved around with no real like motivation or like thoughts of their own. They're just kind of being put into place for these really nice scenes. Um, and they sing their little song and then they go on about their day. Like, I feel like, like particularly like Christine, I just feel like she has no agency of her own. Like she's kind of always just doing as she's told. She's like, the Phantom is my master. And then she's like forced to, you know, be in this, in this opera at the end that kind of would threaten her life potentially. Like at this point it's established that the Phantom is a murderer and she kind of just like has to do it anyway with no real choice. And even like within the in the love triangle like when she finally does choose raul like at the end it still feels like her hand is forced because the phantom is literally saying choose me or i will kill him <laughs> and you know when she kisses him at the end it's not really romantic it's just it's like a desperate attempt to save her fiance and herself so you know i have some thoughts about the other characters but that's kind of who i was thinking out thinking about at the beginning here yeah i think that um it's for me anyway, a mistake to peer too deeply into like the motivations of the characters, because to me, it's all carried on the music and the emotion and the feeling. And the music goes a long way to providing like that emotional arc. So for me, the, the individual choices and motivations aren't really the point. Um, you know, the as in a lot of musicals, they do a lot of work in the actual like score and in like the performances. So um, like when you see it and maybe it's a problem of translating something from the stage to the screen. But when you see something on the stage, um, you know, they're not looking it, it's not like a biopic. It's not like you're there to like figure out like, you know, why what makes somebody tick? You're there to have an emotional experience. You're there to live through this this romantic entanglement um and i think the movie does a good job of that because you know with the orchestrations and like the passion and the singing like you don't need to have like a full and complete rendering of like every minute choice they have in order to like get those emotions and i think the emotional impact is really what's important here i think the pushback i have regarding um looking to the music as the support for that is that I think that Andrew Lloyd Webber as a composer is pretty universally enjoyed and, and looked up to, but I feel like this version didn't necessarily play into those strengths. So for example, they cast a big name with Gerard Butler as the Phantom. However, vocally, I think you're hard pressed to, to say like, Oh, he had the chops to do that song and to own the, these songs. And, uh, Mini Driver specifically was not her own voice in a musical in which she had to sing the whole time. They had to actually use someone else as the opera singer to get all of those notes and those pieces. And instead of drawing from uh, performers who specialize in operas or operettas, they really went and chose just people with big names to get attached to this, to get all of these pieces in. And it feels like they really missed the mark with that. Like you had, it was like they went 60% instead of the hundred with the music that they were given and with what it could have been. 
I'm actually going to push back on that because they deliberately hired, other than Minnie Driver, she's probably the biggest name in this movie. Um, Gerard Butler was nobody at the time. This was before 300. Um, they deliberately cast people. Emmy Rossum had hardly been in anything because she was like 16. Um, Patrick Wilson was a Broadway guy. Um, I actually saw him in a touring production of Carousel when I was a kid. Anyway, um, so they actually deliberately cast the tr main trio as unknowns. And they also deliberately cast them with with um, generally non-traditional voices. Um, I'd say Patrick Wilson is the is the exception. And it was because they wanted a more rock and roll relatable sensibility to it. They didn't want to they knew that they were looking at a really wide audience potentially and they didn't want to alienate people with voices that seemed too operatic. Um, and that's actually what they did with Minnie Driver. Um, they hired an opera singer to sing her parts because they actually wanted to alienate the audience from that character because they wanted her to be the kind of opera singer that you're like, oh, that's opera. I don't like opera. Um, so they wanted her to sound really different from Rossum and really different from Gerard Butler. So when um, like Butler went to the audition, like he didn't have a lot of singing experience, but Lloyd Webber heard him and said like, oh yeah, that guy is like, passionate he's not it's not about technique it's about like the emotion um and so he was looking for kind of that grittier um sensibility when he cast those um so i think it's totally fair to disagree with the casting choices or not like someone's voice because that's like a matter of taste right um but i do think they were going for something deliberate with those casting choices I guess I want to just circle back then to the style over substance sort of argument that we were talking about. And I would love to now like go into the world of the story and talk about like the person who built this opera house, who was like, you know, what would make a really great, you know, opera building is an enormous chandelier that muffles or, or distorts the sound because opera houses are supposed to be constructed in a way so that the sound reaches your ear. So he was like, let me put up this enormous, just so big, so well lit, you would never believe this chandelier. <laughs> and uh, the part where, where Raul and Christine are about to go up to the rooftop for their love, they're like running upstairs the whole time. <laughs> I was like, another staircase, another staircase, no, another staircase. No, it was a half dozen staircases to the roof. And I was like, there's there's no way. <laughs> like, how do they keep going up and up and up? No safety codes in place, you know? It's a wonder no one else <laughs> got hung in this theater. It's a wonder they no one else was hung. Safety yet. <laughs> <laughs> They're just, and then the fact that like, Every room in this somehow has a secret passage to the catacombs. The hundreds of miles, apparently, of catacombs They're that the phantoms just vibe. Yeah, but how can he still hear the opera and be accessing the opera house from these death combs? The funny <laughs> story. They actually didn't perform operas for very long at that the opera house that it's based on. They actually stopped performing operas there because no one could hear anyone. Yeah, and it was super hella haunted. So yeah, so they actually they still it's still there. It's not like a ruin, but they do ballet there because you don't have to like listen to people sing. Exactly. So actually, the acoustics at the Opera Garnier are terrible. So yeah, thank you. Yes, a boatload of money on a shitty opera house. So that is that is actually probably true. <laughs> yeah. Listen, yeah, Alex, so, eat it. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. 
I enjoy, I actually do enjoy opera uh, a bit. And I've been to, like, the Seattle Opera House, if you've never been, it's impeccable. The way it was built is so interesting. It feels like the singers are right next to you, no matter how far back you've been, because I've sat very close and very far back. But this opera house was just like, I was like, I'm kind of glad it burned down. Like, y'all are so bad at this. You got sheep running around. Couldn't have been healthy for anybody. And, like, all and just Meg's mom, the, this, like, old chorus girl wrangler woman was like, I know everything about this building. And I'm like, great, because no one else seems to. Um, I, I just – oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no go ahead, Katie. I kind of just want to touch on more of like the style over substance stuff. You know, I get, um, I get Chris, what you were saying about, you know, the, the music is, is what really like, uh, portrays the emotion and like the intentions of these characters, as opposed to like all the moments in between. I think my issue is just that like with theater, there's auto, there's automatically a, you know, a distance between the audience and what's actually happening on stage and the characters. So I think, you know, some plays do it better than others, but I think it's okay that, you know, maybe we don't get every single like nuance of their motivation because we're really just here for the spectacle and we're here for the music. Um, but when you bring that to a movie, everything feels a lot more like intimate and closer. And so to I feel like I'm getting the same kind of like performance and the same kind of like plot and character development that I would get were I watching this from like 50 feet away in a theater but like I'm up close in there with them and I don't feel like connected to these characters and I feel like I don't understand like I feel like their choices just kind of happen and I don't feel like the motivation behind it like I guess one example I could think of is just the fact that Raul and Christine haven't seen each other since they were like six years old and then he just like kind of walks into her dressing room after the show, after he sees her sing. And it's just kind of like they've immediately rekindled this like lost romance, which I don't know, maybe it's different for some people, but like, I, I don't recall ever having some kind of like sweetheart love at age, like six or seven that I would still be like pining for at age, like 18. I think it's, I think it's different for people in Gothic literature is the problem. Like, I'm not sure if, I guess I'm, I'm, my question is, is your problem with the movie or with the source material? It's um, with the movie specifically, because I think, um, I think on stage, it, it, that doesn't bother me less because I feel like distanced from it as an audience member. And I, and kind of like what I was saying, like, I'm here for the spectacle and just like to hear the cool music and see the cool costumes. But when I'm up close and personal, like in a movie, I still feel like that same level of detachment from yeah. them. So that would have, I mean, it seems to me that would have required like a rewrite, right? Because they used all the, all the words that they had. Um, so I, I don't know if, if that's like, cause part of what they were trying to do is part, one of the reasons that Lloyd Webber actually didn't um, option this to a studio, he financed it himself, um, was because he wanted to maintain control because he was afraid of like the, the actual like content getting away from him um and i think there you can make an argument one way or another about that but i think that like to what you're talking about would have required something that's like enough different from the original stage show that it would no longer be like a film rendition of the stage show that people were expecting 
that's fair. Um, I, I think, I think though that, you know, it, it's clear that they didn't really have a problem with like rearranging where songs go in the movie versus the stage version and like having some dialogue be spoken instead of saying, and like Andrew Lloyd Webber, like wrote some new music for this. I'm not sure if it even ended up in the main movie, but I it's did hear that he's writing. It's in the credits. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it seems like it wouldn't have been too much of a stretch for them to maybe like it wouldn't have been too like disrespectful to the source material for them to have maybe like added in a little more dialogue or just something. I don't know exactly what it is, but just something about the way they all interact with each other just still felt kind of like wooden to me in some ways. But that's that's that might just be personal preference at this point. You might not be a 14 year old girl. That's right. I, I'm not no longer. <laughs> you know, Katie, I didn't think this was going to turn into this, but we hate to break it to you. But... I know. <laughs> Damn it! I guess I need to take down all my Fallout Boy posters. And <laughs> pack it in. Pack it up, hey, Katie. Hey, I got a topic I want to talk about a little bit. Let's hear it. Hey, hey, why is the Phantom hot? Because, like, objectively, is very hot. But like, he shouldn't be, right? Like, I shouldn't watch this movie and be like, you know what? I want a much older, emotionally manipulative, like, really, really deeply scarred man. Ooh, a murderer? Wow. Like, I shouldn't want that. And part of me walks away wanting that. So I guess my biggest problem is that, like, he, as a character, is a murderer and, like, has all of these issues he is you know old enough to be christine's father which by the way the actress who played christine was 17 when they filmed this like yikes um (laughs) but like like why they cast this man's who was looking so good in his capes and his masks and like made him so physically good looking when in reality the phantom is supposed to be you know this very dark and hidden and secretive character like you don't want him to be the the sexy mans you know like let raul and his little ponytail do that so is your key complaint that joel schumacher is making you feel some type of way (laughs) (laughs) surmises it well every movie he makes just god (laughs) um so yeah i i i see what you're saying um, I do think that speaks to like this this weird trend that's happened in um, in the way we treat kind of mm, not just like monster movies, but like I don't know like physical difference in film. Like I think there's definitely a trend. Like if you look at like the older like Lon Chaney type of Phantom, like he's straight up hideous, like death's head, whatnot. And you kind of have some pity for him because clearly his life has been rough, but like, he's bad. Like, you're not, you're not staying with that guy. But like, over time, like a lot of these stories, like Phantom, Beauty and the Beast, um, even like Dracula, even like the Frankenstein has been like rehabilitated in some way. Like, and then we get something like a couple years ago, The Shape of Water, which is literally the creature from the Black Lagoon. I was going like, to say, this sexy. is like the the blueprint for Shape of Water. Yeah. Huh? So I think there's like this trend where, um, you know, it's no longer acceptable to be like, 
that person is ugly or different and therefore they're evil, right? Um, you, you have like movements in both like, you know, psychology, but also like disability rights and like a whole bunch of other stuff where we're like, we're just far more understanding, right? And so I think that one of the things that's happened to Phantom is that it became like kind of not really fun to just dismiss like, well, this guy is like ugly and therefore like he should be shunned. Now the char- the story obviously involves like a guy being shunned, right? But I think that like by the time we get to this movie, the story is much more about like the way that we kind of other things that we don't want to deal with. And one of the things that we don't want to deal with a lot of time is like unasked for sexual feelings, unasked for romantic feelings. So I think it's really common for a person to to fixate or ideate on a figure that isn't really good for them. So to me, in this film especially, the Phantom represents like that boyfriend you're not supposed to want. Um, you're supposed to go off with Raul, like he actually has like the whole package, right? Um, and hair Ooh, and everything, wow. right? But but you're kind of drawn to this other guy, and like he he is kind of abusive, and like yeah, maybe he has killed a couple people. I don't know, but like he's also seen some shit. Like he was exhibited in a fair when he was a child. Like that doesn't teach you good like social like understanding and manners and whatnot. So I think there's this there's this trend in like that sort of gothic turn of fiction where instead of the other being this totally alien thing, it's more like the other is is us. And I think we're more and more inclined to accept that as as like not just interesting and valid, but even desirable. So um that's how I what I feel has happened with that. And I will I have more to say about the whole like young girl thing, but I will shut up and let you guys <laughs> go. I think I, I have less of a problem with people being like, oh, like we like him in, you know, because liking, you know, the shape of water monster or whatever. But like that, that sh- the creature from the Black Lagoon shape of water guy was like not inherently doing evil things. Whereas the Phantom is choosing violence and choosing to be aggressive and sort of the walk away message at the end is like, dude, if a guy you're not into, like if he's got some problems with you, like just give him attention, just give him a little kiss. Like that's all he needs. It's just like a little bit of like that to me feels so, so icky when we get to the part when they're like in the ki- in the catacombs and she like kisses him and Raul's just like vibing there while this is happening. <laughs> like, I'm so challenged by that because it's like one kiss and the phantom like loses him. He's like, oh, okay, that was all I needed. Bye, girl. Like, you can go. Like, why doesn't he, you know, she shouldn't have to kiss him. And that shouldn't be the thing that triggers this. That's more, I think, what I have the problem with us reinforcing is like, if a guy is creepy towards you or simping over you and you're not into it, you still have to reciprocate because that's polite, you know? Like, he taught her to sing from childhood growing up here in this opera house or staying here at the dormitories or whatever. Like, he taught her how to sing and did all of these things, and it was like a platonic relationship. And then all of a sudden, one day, he was like, I brought you up well. 
you single? You want to go out sometime? And it's like, <laughs> nah, dude, I don't want your creepy boat. I don't want your six billion candles and mirrors for some reason. Like, he's just <laughs> a pack ratty, simpy kind of ghost, and I'm not here for it. Yeah, with the with the whole kiss at the end, you know, he acts like this is the first time in his entire life that any single person has shown him kindness or affection. But, like, Madame Giri literally saves his life and, like, smuggles him into, like, the catacombs of this opera house. And it seems as if she's, like, enabling him this whole time. Like, she, you know, she locks Christine's door so he can go in and, and swoop in and, and take her into the catacombs. And it seems that she somehow has helped. They don't explain exactly but it seems that she's kind of helped facilitate this position that he's in where he's getting like a regular salary from this opera house and just gets to like chill in this really cool like gothic chamber with all these cool statues and like all the dolls that he can play with so you know i i I get that he's got this like romantic and 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 like sexual like desire uh for that kind of affection but it's just strange that that he seems to like not acknowledge the kindness that Madame Giri showed showed him at the very beginning, and like I don't really I don't really recall them ever having like any kind of interaction together that was longer than like two seconds, and so yeah, I also just find it strange that 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 is what like changed him, changed his heart, the kiss. Yeah, I mean, obviously that specific element harkens back to the whole like uh, gothic nature of it. It was actually pretty revolutionary at the time that like the end of the novel actually ended with him letting them go because, you know, the fact that she showed him some concern and compassion made him realize that he was doing the wrong thing. Um, Like a lot of books would have just been like, he needs to die. Um, That's not really a defense of this film because obviously we're talking about like 2004 and real world things. And I cannot defend like the behavior of this person or Madame Giri in like real world current day terms. But I do think of it as something, it's kind of like the way I feel about, like, Sarah's point of view in Labyrinth. Like, mm-hmm. where you have this very young girl who may or may not be ready for, like, this adult thing. But I think it's really common in a girl that age to, like, to, to think they want something or to have fantasies about something that, like, probably isn't a good end game, but is, like, but is part of figuring out like who you are and what you want. And so the fact that this movie is full of things that like are really kind of, it's, it's really over the top. You can't possibly place this in the real world. Like it even opens with like the wind blowing and like it going back in time. Like this is not reality. There's like the Jean Cocteau, like candelabra arms, like all over the hallways. Like, um, like this isn't really meant to be taken in like a literal real world sense. And so for me, to me, it's more about Christine's like journey and like experimenting, exploring with this type of like darker sexuality, um, but like realizing that isn't what she wants. And and eventually like, you know, she clearly chooses Raul. In the meantime, like she shows compassion for this other guy who, you know, um was it was a was a possibility yeah i you know i feel like i i get that i feel like even her her like interest and her attraction to the phantom is not her own 
choosing in a way, um, if that makes sense. Like kind of hearkening back to like what I said earlier about her not seeming to really have any agency. Like I feel like the Phantom has been grooming her since she was like 10. Like she comes to the the opera house after her dad dies. She's still a child. And then the Phantom, who I presume is a, quite a bit older than her, maybe not a whole lot, but enough for it to be weird, um, you know, appears to her and tricks her for years, like makes her think that she's talking to the spirit of her dead father and teaches her how to sing and now she feels like indebted to him because he's the one who helped her like develop her voice and get really good at this and then you know now that she's quote unquote of age he appears to her for the first time takes her to his chamber where he's clearly trying to seduce her and it's this weird line of like she does seem pretty into it at one point but there's this just weird imbalance of power where it's like she feels like she owes him in a way and so that's kind of where it gets icky for me where I just you know I understand that this doesn't take place in reality and this definitely doesn't take place in like 2021 reality but it's just weird how this has always been kind of marketed as like a, a, a tragic romance like even at the end you know when, when Raul goes to Christine's grave and he finds the rose there and you're like oh the phantom has he never stopped loving her this whole time and he still goes and visits her grave but it's like it's still kind of weird to me. I don't know. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, all I know is that, like, there are entire message boards full of women saying, I hope he comes and steals me away. You know? like That's fair. So- <laughs> See, that's the problem that I have, though. It's like, like, I remember the first time I watched this, I'm sure I was... a a young sprite probably in like middle school or something and I was watching this and I was like wow this is so cute like he literally murders for her like I love that (laughs) and like the more you watch it the more times I watch it it's like something else hits like a weird note with me like I'm watching it and I'm like okay like we're out here we're just like really having a good time oh the phantom is around Madame Giri's age because she they seem similar when she rescues him that's a little bit weird okay um okay so who what else what else is going on with this oh the phantom is like coming to her and being the angel and saying your dad sent me to you oh that's super manipulative or she goes to the graveyard to like pray to her dad and sing this sad ballad and the, the phantom's like hey it's me hey hey it's me your dad Hey, come here, girl. It's me, your dad. And she's like, oh, my God, dad? And, and Raul's like, bitch, no, it's not your dad. Like, she, there's so many just kind of like, we, and then the child grooming. Like, you're like, oh, he gave her voice lessons. He was like teaching her lots of stuff. He was like, so that's a high G and you should do anything a man asks of you. Anyway, I'll see you next week. Like, <laughs> the phantom is so challenging because the more you watch the more toxic he becomes and like the more i'm like uh like why why are we impressing like there's even that joke in parks and rec where it's like the i want someone tall dark mysterious uh you just described the phantom of the opera and leslie's like mm, <laughs> like like that's we shouldn't want him we should look and have you know the media where our leading guy, Raul, is very universally disliked. I've found in people who have seen the movie, I'm like, why can't we like this guy? Why can't we root for him? Why did we choose to make him kind of a putz and the phantom, like, Mr. Broody with the attitude who I'm all about, you know? Like, 
Why do you That's... just want a bad boy? You know? It's... Uh, why? <laughs> Patrick Wilson just... is the best thing about this movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Second, um, you have a point about like what the media shows us, but at the same time, the media also gives us like what it knows we like and works, you know? So it's, I mean, it's why we have Twilight. It's why we have Fifty Shades. It's why we have Mr. Rochester over and over and over again, right? Um, it's, it's a thing that obviously we are contending with and, you know, that doesn't necessarily make it right, but it does make it like a really common human desire. Um, and, and there's, there's more to that, I think, than, than like our society being full of like, I don't know, abusive groomers, right? And I don't know exactly what that is, but I think there's more to it than that. And I, and I do think it's significant that she does not end up with him. Um, and like, we can talk about where Lloyd Webber went after this um, <laughs> <laughs> later, but, but I think, I think there is a message in the fact that like, you know, not only does she choose Raul, but, but he is also forced to come to the realization that he cannot hold her. Um, that like, in the face of her showing him that moment, he realizes that this is wrong. Um, and, you know, that story could have gone a very different way. That doesn't exonerate him from, like, being a creep or murdering people. Um, but I do think there's, like, a morality play in this story about, about you know, what choices form us, you know, and, and like, how we get to the places we are and, and how we can like come back from those places. I think that's a great place point to unmask, which maybe that's where this comes from. Maybe the whole unmasking thing. I don't know. That's a Will Paulson question. Um, but yeah, everybody, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about how we really feel. Um, and uh, Chris, we'll start with you. I fucking hate this movie. No, you don't. Do you really? I really do. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Um, I have hated this movie for however many years it's 17 been 17 years? Yeah. <laughs> Ever since um, that Halloween. <laughs> I think almost everything about it is trash. Wow. Um, except for Patrick Wilson. I stand by that. He's wonderful. He's the best mm. thing about this movie. But no, as someone who has been deep in phantom lore for a really long time, um... This movie is like everything I don't want Phantom of the Opera to be. Wow. Joel Schumacher. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Honestly, <clears throat> I blame Mike Weber too. Sure. He's on TikTok, so we can blame him for whatever we want. Um, okay, uh, Katie. Okay, this movie is kind of a dumpster fire, but I fucking love it. And I always have. Um, <laughs> I just, I can't, I, you know what? The Phantom is so hot, and Raul is so hot, and Christine is so hot. Everyone is just so hot. I don't care that there is questionable plot points. I don't care that there could potentially be some grooming things going on. I just, I choose to gloss over those things uh, because I really like the music, and it's just hot. Everything's hot. Um, and, I mean, you know, this... I, 
I was just super into this like all through high school and it, it ended up being like the first play that I actually saw like a musical I saw on Broadway so I did actually see like the the, the quote-unquote like real version of it um, but something about this movie I don't know I mean it's a little bit harder to watch now like first of all it's just kind of long and mm-hmm. there's like definitely some like eyebrow raising moments of like hmm, that's interesting um, but all in all it's it's a lovable mess for me <laughs> Uh, Alex. I'm in the same boat as yes. Katie. Uh, <laughs> this movie is my problematic fave. Like, a full oh, flip. We did it, guys. That's a full flip. Did it again. They're so hot. Like, everyone is hot. And it's a mess. And the costumes and, like, Christine's got these tiny itty bitty little corsets and she's belting and I'm like, yes, queen. Like, yes, I'm with you. Like, I'm so into the world. I like to crawl up in this. It's like (laughs) such a fun way to exist. Um, And as an Italian American, I realize (laughs) I should be offended by Minnie Driver's portrayal as Carlotta. (laughs) As Alex Garamoni, that is my favorite fucking goal like i want to be that bitch i want to be like and you, get my doggy where's my doggy my doggy bring my doggy bye bye i want to just cry and like cry and the only way to get me to stop crying is to ask me to sing like are you kidding <laughs> give you another little carlotta fan club like it's me wow. <laughs> i'm the president <laughs> uh quasi <laughs> oh man uh, so yeah, I feel like this movie is... Like, I love the fan of the opera music. This movie is kind of forgettable for me. Mm. Like, besides the haunt, like the hauntingly beautiful scene where she sings Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again in the Graveyard. Like, that I've always, always hit me in some type of way. And I was always scared shitless by the initial chords. I, could, I never anticipated it. Every time I watched that movie, for some reason, it always got me. <laughs> always scared. Uh, but I, I yeah, for some reason this movie like I well, I know I've seen it a few times, but like it's never kept like the movie itself. I I didn't necessarily I haven't seen the original Broadway play, um, but that for some reason I just felt the kind of like I like the music. I think I'll stick with the music. I don't need the rest mm. of the story. So, and I think that it's like we we talked about so many interesting things like. I think that one of the things that we'll have to address as society is where is that line between romantic love and unhealthy obsession? Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so many different places where we see in movies, like what, there are some times where some, depending, depending on who is performing these romantic acts, it can be perceived as really creepy or really romantic. Like it just, I feel like there's a lot of those things in this movie as well. Maybe that's why they needed hot actors to do it because you need someone who's kind of objectively attractive to do these really creepy things so that the audience can <laughs> kind of accept it. Um, but you know, overall, yeah, love the, love the music. Okay. Movie. All right. Uh, yeah. I remember like, I, vague memories of watching this on i think a band trip in high school um but uh yeah i think the first half of the movie pretty good i like the first half of the movie second half of the movie boring as shit and (laughs) could have cut probably like 20 minutes out of it more than that maybe um you know take a couple staircases out um 
But, uh, yeah, that was kind of like, I was so pumped at the beginning. I thought the beginning of the movie, like, that was pretty much all I could remember from it, too, was, like, they first go down, there's all the candles, and they're riding the horse, and they're getting in the boat and stuff. Um, and I pretty much did not remember anything after, like, the masquerade part. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the music, I agree, the music's sick. Um, I have, I have like on my notes, six synths, sick guitar. She gets so sick. She passes out. Um, I just love it. Like you can't have that Phantom of the Opera song without the eighties drum machine. Like they're never doing that. (laughs) You can never, you have to have it. Amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I think I like, I like the movie. I probably won't. I could watch the like the first little click from black and white into color on YouTube in a clip, and that's all the you know the little hit of it I probably ever need. But um, music of the night, it's my favorite song from the thing. I love that. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's what I think. Um, and so yeah, everybody, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this one up. Uh, thanks for listening, and um, we're gonna keep talking more on extended play, which is our post show just for our Patreon folks. So head over to patreon.com slash 24flamespod and you can uh, you can keep listening. I don't know what the hell we're going to be talking about on this one, but <laughs> might as well go check it out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we appreciate everybody that helps uh, helps kind of support the show for us. Um, and then if you got thoughts about Family of the Opera, you can email us at 24flamespod at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at 24flamespod. Um, and uh, wherever you get your podcasts, go and leave a rating, review, subscribe. If you enjoyed this one, we love to hear about it. Um, it helps us make the show better. helps more people find the show. It's a win-win for everybody. It only takes like two seconds. So it's, it's so easy. So easy to put so much good in the world. Um, and uh, yeah, everybody. Uh, this episode of 24 Flames Per Second was produced and hosted by me, Robert Bahorkis. It's co-hosted by Quasi Phillips. Panels this week on the defense, Chris Pepper Hambrick, the Roasters, Katie Bennett, and Alex Garamoni. And our show music was composed and performed by Rob Joins and Will Paulson. And our network and co-op, Party Fish Media, is produced by Quasi Phillips, Will Paulson, and me. And so, yeah, everybody, we're going to be back next week with uh, Hold Please. I think, oh, no, I can remember. It's 16 Candles, which, uh, oh, no, it's not. It's Perks of Being a Wallflower. God damn it. I thought I knew it. Anyways, we'll be back next week with Perks of Being a Wallflower, um, which isn't a musical, I don't think. No, no way. Yeah, I see head shaking. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Um, but, yeah, everybody, that's uh, that's next week. So we hope you subscribe and come on, come on back for some more. Um, we'll, be, uh, we'll be back next week. And, yeah, we'll catch you on the extended play or then. So, everybody, thanks for listening to this one. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliot Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.